You are live with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here, broadcasting from home, as well as my fellow nerds, John Beeler and AJ Vickery. Uh, interesting times uh, we're in right now, and uh, we've uh, got a, a pretty interesting uh, show for you today. We're going to be talking about uh, the television and film industry and what they're doing to be able to work from home. The technology is amazing. you got to stay tuned uh, for, for that segment. We're also going to talk about photos. We've got a bit of downtime right now. What do we do with it? Well, I've actually been going through my photos. And so we've had some listeners write in saying, what's the best way to keep all our photos organized? You know, we're literally taking thousands of them on our smartphones. Uh, How do you back them up? Where do you put them? How do you organize them? Well, we're going to go through all of that for you. Let's talk about some of the tech news this week. And uh, before we get into some of them, uh, you had an interesting story, AJ, about Zoom, which is a a program that a lot of us are using for video conferencing at work right now. Well, it's incredible. I mean, even before the last couple of months, have you ever even heard of Zoom? No. Now I'm getting (laughs) notices from like like my my, my mom, you know, is like, you know, in her late 70s is using Zoom to to talk to her family (laughs) members. But uh, the local um, art studio, and they have studios across Canada uh, came out obviously we can't get the kids together we can't put them in art classes during the day so what they did is they embraced zoom and they're putting on art classes so literally we signed up for a class um, it was $14.99 in the mail I received the supplies to do the class laid everything out we logged on to zoom went into a room saw the video of all the other kids that were signed up for that class that day and then they literally went through and put on an entire class of how to do this this kit it was actually a clay uh, oven baked clay kit so we built a, a little uh, unicorn and followed all the instructions it was a one hour class when it was done we put it in the oven it's amazing and all of it through zoom 15 bucks yeah 14.99 included the materials and the and the the one and you know these days if you can find one hour to do something with your kids during the day for 15 it's bucks worth, <laughs> it's worth more than 15 dollars <laughs> we'll be doing it again for sure oh, and what's from a four cat four cats.com the number four c-a-t-s.com i i love that I think I might yeah. do that myself <laughs> just to, <laughs> to spend some time. Okay, but AJ, you talked about Zoom. We're all using it. I think the um, the BC government just licensed it for all the students in British Columbia as well uh, for online and, and uh, video learning. But there are some issues. And, and John, you know, you and I have been looking uh, into this. Uh, you know, even I think uh, New York is uh, going after them. The New York Attorney General has written to them raising concerns over some of the privacy issues that Zoom is having. Yeah, apparently, I mean, it's been resolved, but initially there was an issue with people using the mobile version of Zoom and it was leaking data to Facebook, even if you didn't have a Facebook account or the app installed on your phone, it was sending stuff. So they've since updated that and and fixed it. They've also made some interesting claims uh, about the fact that Zoom is encrypted end-to-end and it appears that it's not. So <laughs> it's not the secure thing you should be, you know, talking about, uh, you know, sensitive topics about, um, especially if you don't have a password on your Zoom meeting because we've seen all kinds of examples of meetings getting bombed by people just guessing the URLs for these meeting invites and they're not that hard to guess. Um, and uh, so it's there's a whole bunch of concerns that people have. Uh, 
you know, the more usage anything gets, the more scrutiny it tends to get. And that's not, not definitely the situation here where uh, a lot of people are starting to look and question Zoom, especially for things like uh, in, in the school settings where, you know, it's, it's students, it's kids, you know, potentially underage teenagers using this technology and who knows what's going on or what data is being, you know, accessible from uh, an unencrypted video conference call like this. AJ, so you talked about one of the great things about Zoom, uh, you know, being able to get into a, a clay making class uh, with your daughter and uh, actually make a little clay figurine. I found another use that's not maybe as nice. I don't know if you read this. Uh, Zoom uh, was used by the e-scooter company, Bird, uh, which they have e-scooters in a number of cities uh, around the world. They they laid off 400 of their staff using a Zoom conference call, <laughs> which I, I'm thinking that's awful. But at the same time, like how how do you during this time, if you have to lay off people, how do you do that? You can't. Well, especially if you have 400 of them. Yeah. So the problem though is that not all 400 could get on the on the conference call, right? Or they missed it, <laughs> and so then they're hearing from all their you know their colleagues. Oh, hey, we just all got laid off, and so then some people are saying, well, they should have just you know phoned everyone individually. But that that's hard too, right? How many days is that going to take? And you know the the news would get out anyway. So it's an I interesting so. time we live in. Yeah, and I think that the reality is, is especially under these sort of, you know, more quarantined or isolated, I should say, isolated um, situations or scenarios, uh, being face-to-face with people in a room is impossible. I took my car in to get service today. Uh, I took my car in to get service today, and uh, sure enough, like, they, they were like, we're, we're on a non-touch um, service. So what? So I was like, well, what does that look like? I drive my car in, and literally... They give there's a walkie-talkie on the table, and I literally did the entire servicing through a walkie-talkie. Really? You know, and I left my car there. Yeah, left my car there, drove away in a loner, never saw a person. Was it so? Was, I it, think, was it really you know, a garage? It, like, could, <laughs> <laughs> you follow some yeah. some sign on a street. <laughs> that was a, that was a walkie-talkie on a, on a table. <laughs> And now he has no car. Okay, we're going to have to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about how to organize your photos during this downtime. Back after this. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here. I've got uh, fellow nerds, uh, of course, uh, John and AJ with me today. We have a lot of time on our hands now, gentlemen. Uh, Obviously, work (laughs) fills the day. What do you do during the nights and weekends? So we actually had one listener write in saying, why don't you guys do a segment on how you organize your photos while you have all this time? In isolation, we actually we actually had two. Oh, really? People ask, okay. Asked the same question, Debbie in New West and Randy in Killam, Alberta. Well, uh, thanks for the uh, the suggestion because it, it is a good one because I've actually been doing that, uh, looking into how I can organize my photos more. And I have to start off by saying it's it's more difficult now. I find because in the old days, of course, we had our um, our physical photos, and then when we went to digital, you typically took it with a digital camera, right? And eventually the memory card runs out of space and you got to dump those photos onto your hard drive. So you're forced to have to deal with them. And so I used uh, programs like Photoshop Elements uh, and imported them all in there to help me keep them organized and tag people. I I don't even know how many hours, like it must've been hundreds (laughs) of hours doing that and kind of worthless now. Uh, The trouble now though is that it's not the same because most of our photos are taking taken on our smartphones and so i think i have like fifteen thousand photos on my iphone and Mm -hmm. i appreciate what they're 
doing on the smartphones, like Apple obviously tags these things in all kinds of ways, like geolocates them. Oh, hey, I was in uh, Kelowna or Toronto or Spain. Uh, it actually tries to tag the people's faces in there or, you know, that's a dog, that's a car. But still, I just, I'm, I have anxiety thinking, how am I going to organize all of these one day? AJ, what do so, you, uh, well, we'll start with you, John, because you, you're the more organized one out of the bunch here from a digital <laughs> perspective. So we were just in Spain and I took thousands of photos Um and one of the things that I do every time I get back from a, at least from a trip, which, you know, no one's going on a trip for a little while now, but, um, as I go in and I, I create a folder, I pick all of my favorites and I put them on Flickr. Flickr is where I kind of use, use that. I don't use iCloud uh, photos. I don't use Google photos. I don't use Amazon photos. Uh, I don't want every single photo I've ever taken to go to the cloud. And those systems are great um, if you're taking a picture and you want to go. There's just too many issues with uh, corruption uh, if you're doing it over Wi-Fi or you're going to burn through your data plan if you're uh, not using Wi-Fi. Um, and I take far too many photos. Um, I've got at least 30,000 photos on Flickr that I would consider to be good photos. So, um and the nice thing about Flickr, it's uh, I have a Flickr Pro account, but there's a free account that you can use. I, f- I forget what the limits are on the free account. They kind of changed when they got bought by SmugMug uh, a little while ago. But um, it's 75 bucks a year for the Pro account, and I have unlimited storage. I think I have over three terabytes worth of photos. And they're all the high resolution from my SLR, from my smartphones, everything. So- Does that include video? Uh, it does, but it's kind of clunky for video. Um, you certainly can put it put it there, but it doesn't do a great job of it. Uh, but the thing I like about it is like when I came back, got back from Spain, all of my photos uh, that I took on my phone, at least, had a GPS you know, um, information. So when I look at them in Flickr, it actually shows me on a little map on the bottom of the photo where that photo was taken, which is really kind of cool. And you can actually sort your photos by location as well, which is really cool. And that's automatic. I'm excited to hear AJ's uh, keen photo organization skills. But, uh, you've got uh, Emma, your daughter now, and you must be sure. taking a lot of pictures. And I imagine they're all on your phone. Well, and that's the point, Mike, that you um, you got it right. I think the majority of us are taking these photos and we're doing it with our with our phone. You know, you definitely got those people out there that have the SLR cameras and they're doing the stuff. And John is very organized and sets his stuff up. But honestly, what I do is I just and I and it I do have a Android based phone so that's a factor but what I do is I connect and sync everything with Google Photos so what ends up happening is that uh, every single picture that I take gets synced into the cloud and I know John you're like I don't want that to happen but the reality is is that I have never lost a single photo they're all up in my photo and then it's really easy to go up there and actually create albums inside a Google photo and then the search capability that's in um, Google photos is unbelievable like for example I take pictures of like my parking tickets just as an example <laughs> so so that, you have a so, whole album just for that AJ <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I was looking for a parking ticket. I just typed in parking ticket, and it was amazing how Google's logic figured out how to bring up all of the parking tickets that I've taken pictures of. I mean, did it get a few parking meters in there as well? Sure. But it didn't get pictures of my daughter. Do you know what I mean? Like, the search was incredible. Yeah. And I think that's what I really like is forget it. Just let it put everything in the cloud, 
And then when I want to go look for something or create an album of my daughter, I can simply just do that search. And it literally pulls pulls things together. Um, the only problem I have is that I'm I'm on an Android phone, but the rest of my family isn't. They're on the Apple device, an iOS, and so now our photos are in different places, and that's a little bit annoying. But, but can- you could install the Google Photos on the iPad devices too. It would, but then my wife would have to agree to getting a Google account, and she's very very suspicious of Google. <laughs> <laughs> You touched on a key point there, though, AJ. I think one of the other things about these services, if you will, you know, cloud or not cloud, is sharing them with other people, right? And and having that ability to um, share it with your the rest of your family or your friends and that kind of thing. And and that quick finding findability is really important. I mean, even on my iPhone it's gotten better over the years as Apple adds more features, just like on the Google side where, you know, it kind of recognizes and organizes, like it knows all my selfies, it knows all my portrait photos, like all those kinds of things and creates albums for that. And then, you know, like Google, it creates a little video file of here's your highlights from last month or whatever. Um, But it's, it's still something that I'm going to say it hasn't been solved. I mean, I think everyone has their own little sort of needs and desires for it. And there's no perfect solution that works for everybody. Um, the other uh, question that uh, came from the, the listeners was, um, you know, on your device, what if you're always full, right? Like some people have all their photos on their iPad and they have a maybe a, a small capacity iPad. Um, putting them all in the cloud is the solution. Um, and uh, But it does require internet access then to access those photos. You don't have them locally available to you, especially if you're maybe um, not in a place where you have internet access and you want to just look at something on your iPad and say, well, you're at their doctor's office or something like that. Um, yeah, but for, for the Apple uh, people out there, uh, the Apple ecosystem, you know, if you're in that ecosystem, just embrace it. And the, you know, the iCloud is an amazing place for that. You're probably going to have to get more storage. There's no question. And so it's probably the cheapest storage out there compared to a lot of the, the competitors. And it's just seamless. It just uploads all your photos. And there's a setting in there for your photos in iCloud that you can have like a low-res version on your phone. And on your phone, that low-res version still looks high-res. You know what I mean? It's just smaller. It'll keep the full high-res version up in the cloud if you ever need that one day to make a wall poster or, or something. Uh, but it's just so easy to to manage all all of that. And it, it, uh, it takes care of that storage or capacity issue. If you don't have a lot of memory on your iPhone or your iPad, this solves it because it'll just keep a low res version on on your device and all the high res uh, copies of them will be up in the cloud for you so you don't ever have to worry about that again so i think the the moral of this story is there's no like uh silver bullet for organizing photos like i I can't think of one magical program that just covers everything but to your point aj google photos is fantastic because it's cross-platform works on android works on your home computer works on iphones and ipads and so the nice thing too is that it just automatically sucks all of the pictures off your different devices and computers and, and puts them up there and stores them uh for free basically and you want to talk about cheap storage if you have to add storage it's 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 very inexpensive so i i would recommend to anyone you got to have some type of cloud backup for your photos because that's just the world we live in. I know some people are still paranoid about it, but you're just going to have to get past that, unfortunately. I mean, you can back up all your photos onto your hard drive and get an external hard drive. 
and I have that myself. I think my photos are backed up into like, you know, six different things, my computer, my server, I have an external hard drive, uh, I have iCloud, I have Google Photos, I have Amazon Prime Photos, you know, if anything happens, they're somewhere. So uh, again, if you're in the Apple world, iCloud is fantastic. AJ, uh, I love Google Photos uh, as well. And to your point, John, Flickr is fantastic because you even use them to, to integrate into your website as well easily. That's right, because you can embed them, you can share them publicly, you can even license them through Flickr if you take lots of you know photos that are worth licensing for stock photo purposes and Getty images and that kind of thing. Um, but it, it's, you know, it's, there's like we we've been talking. There's no one size fits all. But I think Mike, you just actually hit on an interesting point too. Uh, regardless of well, I guess maybe more so if you're on the Apple side of the equation, you can use both. So then you have a redundant backup on Google as well as on iCloud. So exactly. Okay. We have an awesome show still for you. Uh, when we come back from the break, we're going to find out about the state of the film and television production industry during this pandemic. Uh, have they been able to transition and work from home for the most part? Well, you'd be surprised at uh, what's happening there, and we're going to tell you all about it. You're listening to Get Connected here on the Chorus Radio Network back after this. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here broadcasting from his home studio. I've got John Beeler uh, here with me as well. How's it going, John? It's going well, Mike. Okay, I've uh, I've got a great couple of guests right now. We want to talk about one of the big industries here in Canada, and that would be film and television production. Obviously, hard hit. Uh, you know, most of the live action uh, series and movies have had to shut down because. You don't want to film with large groups of people, but uh, a certain section of the industry is still going forward, and that would be the special effects and animation side. We've got two great guests today to explain how that's all working. Phil Watkins from Intel and Chris Kostiak from Studio Cloud. Thanks for joining me, gentlemen. Thanks for the opportunity. Pleasure to be here. Well, I want to start off just quickly talking about your respective companies and, and how you're involved. Chris, we'll start with you in Studio Cloud. Tell the listeners uh, what uh, you folks do. Yeah, thanks very much. So CW Studio Cloud, I guess our origin story is our Render Cloud uh, offering, which started about seven years ago. We were approached by uh, the Vancouver Studio Group that wanted to attract all the Disney Marvel work up to Vancouver at the time. And in order to do that, you had to have a thousand render nodes in order for Disney to want to provide a contract to you. Uh, what's, at that time, before you continue, what's yeah. a render node? Oh, a render node. Uh, so uh, when making uh, animated or television series or feature films, visual effects, during the process, you need to take all of the elements, the video imagery, the live action, and the compositing, the 3D generated elements, and render them together. So that means kind of bake them together so that you see a combined composited image that makes it look like you're in that 3D world. In order to accomplish that, you need hundreds, thousands of uh, processing cores, in or, uh, which make up a server, in order to process that a large amount of data that's required to, to make those images look real. So, so yeah, back uh, seven years ago, the group of uh, studios here in Vancouver wanted to track that work up from Disney, uh, Disney and Marvel. In order to do so, you had to have a minimum requirement of 1,000 render nodes, and there wasn't an aggregate in Vancouver 1,000 render nodes. Uh, the Vancouver Studio Group approached our company in order to build a data center to host that compute power. And then when one studio was idle, 
they could cross rent their idle capacity to the other studios. So essentially making a cooperative, uh, a very Canadian approach to solve a media entertainment problem. And I guess that's uh, where you probably step in, Phil. Uh, Intel, I think most people know uh, you're the the brains inside most computers servers. Yep, that's right. So my role in Canada is I look after our cloud service providers in the country. And typically, there are some household names in there, some of the hyperscalers that we call, which dominate the industry, companies like Google, Microsoft, uh, Amazon. But there's also a real booming industry in Canada for local cloud service providers and partners there, of which Chris and Studio Cloud is a major one for us. So yeah, we started there with that that first entry in Vancouver seven years ago. But if you fast forward to today, we've now rolled out uh, seven data centers across North America. And now I have over 100,000 cores of render, which translates to actually every single Marvel feature film is, is rendered in Studio Cloud today. Uh, not completely, but every show, uh, not to mention all, a lot of the animated TV series like our, our kids are at home watching these days uh, while we're, we're working from home. So you, you've said there's these render cores all over North America. So if there is a studio and you know group of artists working in Vancouver or Toronto, are they necessarily accessing the ones in Canada or can they be accessing ones in the U.S. as well? Uh, they can be accessing them uh, remotely. Uh, you know, our, uh, I guess, differentiator is we've located our data center close to where the studios are. So then we help them connect over a dark fiber connection, which is a very uh, large uh, pipe of bandwidth, you know, 10 gigabit to, uh, gigabyte to 100 in some cases. And then uh, we're providing options for multiple connections. But for the most part, you know, our big differentiator is to make it feel look and feel like it was being rendered or processed on their premises so they don't have to change any of their their pipeline so just so i understand uh you know during this pandemic right now we all have to pretty well work from from home does this allow all these graphics artists and animators to do everything that they would typically do at a studio from their home yeah, great question. So that's really what's been keeping CW, Studio Cloud, and, and our partners like Intel really busy over the last few weeks is identifying ways and means in order to help the artists work from home so they're, they're not putting themselves and their families in, in, in jeopardy and to keep the economic engine alive in Canada. So whether it's artists in Vancouver, Montreal, Toronto, we've helped those studios uh, leverage Studio Cloud's internet services. So increasing their pipeline, uh, utilizing partners like uh, another local company, Teradici, here from Burnaby that provides PC over IP connectivity for quality imagery. So artists can connect and, and utilize a workstation that's still the office uh, and connect to it over, over, over internet, even their basic internet from home. Uh, so that's been a big push for us. And, and partners like Teradici have helped step up and, and offered mechanisms where normally you'd have a one year subscription. They're providing options around, you know, monthly subscriptions, three month subscriptions. So it's been very, very empowering. So a good example is one of our, and they've given me permission to mention them. Uh, Icon Studios here in Vancouver has just, uh, found a mechanism for through, through Studio Cloud and CW in order to provide 360 of their artists to connect uh, remotely uh, so they can keep making uh, Elena of Avalor and those other shows that our, our kids uh, can watch on Netflix and Disney+. Plus. So a question, you talked about the, the place that can rent the workstation. So are graphics artists, they can use any computer at home and, and tap into those powerful workstations? Yeah, that's a really good question. So, yeah, that actually it's beyond just you know having a, a PC, even if they have their you know phone or uh, you know iOS or Android device plus Windows, Mac, and uh, Linux. 
uh, I can connect to those workstations that are at their office and and have that flexibility to use it. Uh, so yeah, we're following a lot of my clients on on LinkedIn and seeing that they're they're posting that their entire operations globally are now working from home. So it's it's really impressive how the communities come together. Do you think that the current situation we're working under might once it's all over might actually create a shift where people are going to be more aware of opportunities like Studio Cloud where they can they can always work from home as opposed to having to go to the office or or you know the, maybe the need for as much office space will be uh, diminished because this facility is sort of proving itself right now. No, I think that's a, a really good, a astute observation. So we're we're definitely feel that uh, that is going to be the the trend. Uh, it was already a trend. Like a lot of our studios had embraced the ability to provide more flexibility in order to attract and attain the most talented of artists. As, as uh, that's the the most important part of any animation or visual effects studio is the people. We definitely are seeing uh, that uh, embracing of that technology, but I do think as a trend, we we expect that this will fast track a lot of, you know, now that they've had to quickly adapt, we feel that they're actually you know providing feedback that is working really well. Uh, I think that the artists will continue to demand the flexibility to, to work from home. We're talking with the folks over at Intel and CW Studio Cloud uh, and how they're keeping graphics artists and visual effects uh, folks uh, working here in Canada. When we come back, uh, we'll explore the sheer power needed to make all of that happen. You're listening to Get Connected here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with John Beeler. We've been talking about TV and film production in Canada here during the uh, pandemic. Again, uh, a lot of the shooting has had to stop because uh, you don't want large groups of people getting together. But animators and visual effects uh, folks are able to work from home. Uh, we've got Chris Kostiak from CDW Studio Clouds and uh, Phil Hawkins from Intel. Phil, I want to talk about uh, the power needed to make all of this uh, happen. Uh, you know, when you're talking about all these amazing special effects that you're seeing in, you know, the Avengers and these Pixar movies and and what have you, what kind of Intel chips are being used in these these servers? Yeah, so what Chris was talking about there was a hundred thousand cores. So each CPU, essentially, the brains and the engine of the computer, will have a number of cores in it, and the number of cores is dependent really upon your use case but he's running a hundred thousand of these things so a, a massive amount of computing power and if you think of your pc at home maybe two or potentially four core if it's a uh, uh, more of an enthusiast one he's talking about a hundred thousand of these things in order to produce the uh, the effects which the industry is looking for but it's more than that it's more than the, the chip um we're talking here in the, the case study, which we published recently, talked of Optane memory. So the memory and the storage systems which are required to feed these things, these very hungry, hungry CPUs, increasingly important. And that's what Chris and Studio Clouds and his team have taken advantage of. You talked about this Optane memory. Uh, maybe just explain to, to listeners uh, in layman's terms uh, what that's you know doing differently than like regular memory in my, my home computer. Yeah, of course. I think I can do that without uh, too much geekiness and hopefully in terms that uh, every every listener can understand. So the nodes that Chris is talking about as servers and think of those as large computers for data centers and commercial use, but essentially the same as any other computer, including what you might run on your PC or indeed in, even on your on your phone. And it has core components, including the CPU, the brains of the computer, 
the memory and the storage. Now, the memory is key here. It's what we call volatile storage in that typically when we power any computer off, the memory would empty, excuse me. Um, and all computers need this uh, because it has a key advantage in that it is extremely fast. But its disadvantages are that in being so fast, it is not very dense, i.e. it's low capacity, and it can therefore be very expensive to run. And what Intel started working on back in, I think it was 2009, uh, and recently just say brought to market after nine or 10 years of research, is this new class of memory called Optane. And essentially, we've built it so that it is way more dense, um, so it can hold therefore much more capacity and much more data, which is really important in visual effects. But also because it's more dense, it reaches the right economies of scale. It becomes much less expensive to buy. And so Chris and the team have taken advantage of this, uh, not only to power these, uh, these large render farms and these render nodes with more work, but in fact, they can do more work in a given time, which in turn makes the Vancouver film industry much more efficient and hopefully therefore much more competitive and keeps it at the leading edge of the world. Chris, I've got, I think, two cores on my PC here at home. Can I rent that out to you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll use everything we can get. <laughs> We're actually fully subscribed uh, as of this week. Uh, so oh, it's definitely worth really? you know, it. Uh, the requirement right now is, is quite high. These data centers you're talking about, um, apparently there's one in Vancouver as well, you were saying. We have uh, three, three in Vancouver. We have uh, two in Montreal, uh, one in Toronto, and just recently brought on online in uh, Los Angeles and looking at uh, at Oregon as the next step as well. What do these centers look like? I just watched, uh, you know, <laughs> season three of Westworld here, and I think I have an idea. They're like robots walking around. <laughs> you, know, they're, they're, they, you know, they range in size. Uh, when, when we first uh, built it, it was really grassroots, and, and you know, we, we put it together actually at as a collaboration with one of the, the schools at the Great Northern Way campus. Uh, we've subsequently, out, you know, Emily Carr University <laughs> moved in that space. Uh, and so we've, we've rebuilt a new data centers. To, again, the, the importance for us is to be close to the studio. So we built one in Mount Pleasant uh, together with our partners, uh, eStructure. So we work together with co-location providers uh, like eStructure and T5 and Cogent. Uh, in order to leverage, you know, large scale, uh, commercial operations that have megawatts of, of power for us. Like, uh, in Vancouver, we have over a hundred racks of, of, uh, capacity, uh, in, in, uh, similarly in Toronto and Montreal. Uh, and one of the big differentiators for, for Canada in particular is the access to, uh, hydro. Um, so, uh, green, free cooling and access to low cost power. Uh, so North America, uh, sorry, Montreal and Vancouver and Toronto represent some of the lowest cost power in the province or in the country. So you're saying right now you all all of your um, capacity is fully booked right now? Yeah, uh, as of this last month, uh, we're we're fully booked, and now you know makes our our partners uh, happy because they know that means we're ordering more. Uh, as you get into you know the final battle scene of Endgame, for example, there's just so much rendering and memory required in order to have all those superheroes in the same scene using the Optane memory allows us to bring that cost down. Uh, so we saw immediately about, you know, a 25% decrease in price, making, uh, you know, the, the second highest cost next to the computer is the power 
uh, for it. And we use a lot of power. So our data center in Mount Pleasant, for example, uh, is the most dense power per square foot in the province with pushing close to three megawatts. You, you haven't seen John's uh, living room. <laughs> He's got a lot of processing uh, power. All right, we'll yeah, do uh, it. <laughs> it, it, sounds, uh, it sounds like Phil needs to ship some more uh, servers out of his garage there uh, pretty quick uh, up to Canada. I want to th- I want to thank both of you guys for joining us on uh, the show today. We've been talking with Phil uh, Vulcans from uh, Intel and Chris Kostiak from uh, CDW Studio Cloud. Thanks for uh, coming on the program. Yeah, thank you. We appreciate it. Very much so. Thank you, guys. When we come back from the break, more tech to talk here on Get Connected. Stay tuned. You're back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here. I've got John Beeler, and it's that time, Tech of the Week. And John, we're all Zooming right now, doing video conferencing, and you've got something pretty awesome. This is a plugin that actually works with any video uh, system, uh, not just Zoom. It works with Skype, uh, everything. Uh, what it is, it's called Snap Camera. And if you've ever used Snapchat uh, and the filters, uh, you can actually choose from hundreds of filters that people have made that Snapchat provides. Uh, and if you're watching this on the video podcast, I'm wearing a Bane mask right now. From Batman. Um, and from Batman, yeah, The Dark Knight. And the uh, the really cool thing is, is that it creates a virtual uh, camera that you can actually then choose from your output or your input, your camera input from uh, within any of these apps. So it's treated like a FaceTime camera or or a webcam, whatever you want. And then you can have these layers over top of it that allow you to wear funny hats, uh, masks, um, eyelashes and makeup, you name it, they have it. You can be a potato, you can be a pickle, you can be a Cheeto, all kinds of crazy things. This is awesome. For I'm, I am totally getting this for my Zoom calls because I'm going insane with the... I guess yeah. the vanilla-ness of, <laughs> of of these calls. So yeah. you'll be able to actually wear like a Kanye West mask or or all kinds of crazy stuff. Yeah, they're not all created equally. Some of them are really poorly done. And I think that's part of the charm of it is that people are literally just doing this in Microsoft Paint. But others are a little bit more involved where you can actually have moving mouths and eyes and that type of thing, uh, neat visual effects, that kind of thing. It's all it's all fun and it's all free. Uh, I've created a list of my favorites and I can switch them on the fly, which is really fun. And um, the uh, it, it's just a really neat way. And the nice thing is, is that it doesn't cost anything and you can plug it into literally any system that you're using for your video conferencing. Snap camera available for Windows and uh, Mac? I believe so, yeah. Cool. Check that out. Okay, tomorrow on the App Show, our sister show coming up on uh, Global News Radio CKNW 980, I think at 10 a.m. Sunday morning, we uh, will be doing Zoom hacks. We're all using video conferencing uh, software. Zoom is one of the more popular ones. We're going to tell you how to make the most of it, how to look the best, how to actually work those backgrounds, uh, video backgrounds, photos, and so much more. And again, that's coming up on the App Show tomorrow. I want to thank everyone that puts the show together. John, Stephen, Christina, Paul, and Nigel. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you again next time.